Hi, this is Dave Denton of Dave's Voice Works and Radio Guy Reflections and TurnbuckleTrash.net. Two great podcasts, one about professional wrestling and one about radio. And it's all on Anchor. Now, if you haven't heard about Anchor, here's a great way to make a podcast. Use Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast because, hey, it's free. And they give all the creation tools that allow you to record and edit any podcast you'd like to do right from your computer. Use Anchor. Anchor, the best way to podcast and the best way to listen to Turnbuckle Trash or Radio Guy Reflections. They always say there is always a witness for history. History, history. history. It's weird, like, look at the date. 9-11. September 11th, 2001. We will never forget. Apparently, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. Today, we've had a national tragedy. Something just blew up. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center. There's visible smoke coming from that area. I heard her say there's a little problem on the plane. Um, I want you to know how much I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. 15, 14, 13. When I got about to three or two is when I started to think of my family. I gotta get out of here. 20 years later. It's like the world just stopped. Wow. Radio Guy Reflections remembers. This is, this is bad. September 11th, 2001. I go through the whole thing in my head. I'll never, ever forget. Yes, this is Radio Guy Reflections. We got a great podcast lined up for you right now because we're going to talk about radio's role in 9-11 and also in huge events that have happened uh, in the country, tornadoes, earthquakes, and more, and how local radio has been there to capture it all. I'll reflect back on what happened uh, to me on 9-11, and uh, there's a little family story involved with that too, a very trying day for us all. Uh, we'll also uh, be talking with Bill Walters. Now, Bill is currently a host on two radio stations. He does a country station called Kicks 96 and, and also uh, is helping on a talk show on 610 KVNU. One of my good friends from where I used to work, and he's recorded a short little bit about uh, his fit thoughts and feelings during that time because, as we say, with everything that happens to us, life goes on, and Bill has a great story about that. We'll also have an interview with Sir Paul McCartney. You're saying, what? Sir Paul McCartney? Yes, that's Sir Paul McCartney. It's an interview that Dave Marino did uh, of the Daily Beetle Break, and Dave's been a uh, special guest on this podcast, too. And also he did uh, the uh, the opening and some of the little things you're going to be hearing through throughout this podcast. But Dave Marino interviewed Sir Paul McCartney. Jimmer joins us. Jimmer joins us. Yes, Jimmer joins us. Jim Dillman, who was a number one uh, uh, disc jockey at a country station, also did oldies, uh, did some TV in the San Bernardino County area, and we'll talk to him a little bit later on, too. And we'll also have my wife join us because we, we all went through you-know-what during that time frame, right? What would we do? If America was at war, which we were at that time, you got to remember they declared war on us. Teresa and I are going to talk a little bit about the aftermath and what happened uh, to us personally. And it's it's a scary story, but it's also uh, almost surreal. 
We'll tell you more about that as the podcast progresses. This is Radio Guy Reflections. I remember waking up to it. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center. It's one of those places you go where, say, you remember where you were. Radio Guy Reflections remembers September 11th, 2001. On that fateful day of September the 11th of 2001, I started my day off like I do every day while I was working. I'd get up 5, 5.30 in the morning, make my way to the radio station uh, where I would meet with the news team and uh, then also my co-host at the time, Cowboy Ted. Boy, that I, that's a different story right there. <laughs> Sometime I'll get into Cowboy Ted, but not right now because it's not very pertinent to our situation. But 9-11, it did happen, uh, 2001. I was on my radio show, and uh, with me was Cowboy Ted, and we had uh, our newsman, Phil, who was in another room working on things, and we were doing what we do in the morning. I mean, I get a little crazy. Ted was anything but crazy, but I got a telephone call, and it was from my wife, Teresa, and I picked it up, and I said, what's going on? And she said, a plane just hit uh, the World Trade Towers, the Twin Towers. I went, wow, man, that, that's, that's terrible. I, I, I hope that it wasn't too bad. And then shortly after 7 o'clock in the Intermountain West, I received a telephone call again from my wife, Teresa, and said a jet just hit tower number two. Well, before that, Ted and I had been talking on the air about the situation in New York, not knowing it was a terrorist attack. And then when that second plane hit, we all felt it. We all knew that this was a day that we will never, ever forget. And as the supervisor at the radio station, I was the program director at the time, I knew we had to do something. We, we needed to do something special for our listeners and for people who basically were scared to death. So uh, I grabbed my people that were at the station already, and I think there was three, maybe four of us there at the time. And I said, look, this is something pretty serious. I want you, everyone to get on the phones, uh, find people to talk to, find out what's going on, law enforcement, uh, the, the airports. And, you know, just I was just trying to say, okay, this is the mode we're going into now. We're not going to be a country radio station. We're going to be a news and information station to give out as much information as we possibly can. Then we hear about the Pentagon and then the plane crash in Pennsylvania. It was an unreal time. And what we did at the radio station I was working at, KGNT, the country giant, we went to a network feed that uh, was directly from New York City. Now, I, I didn't want to keep it there because I knew people would want to know how this was affecting us in our community, which happens to be Cache Valley. And I would venture a guess that every radio station in the country was doing the same thing. We're switching modes. This is not our happy-go-lucky day. This is serious. And we'll talk to Jimmer about this a little bit because he was all by himself when all this went down. Uh, we'll do that. We'll talk about the uh, emergency broadcast system and more. And we'll talk about that with Jimmer. But I wanted to tell you that we did. We all agreed that we were going to turn on that network feed. But that wasn't going to be it. We weren't just going to 
sit back and not try to find other information. So our thought process was this. We need to serve our community. We need to help the grieving process begin. But there's still a lot of answers to a lot of questions that need to be filled. So we made lots of telephone calls. We were writing up news stories or doing things off the top of our head because about every 15 minutes, we would break into this breaking coverage from New York City, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania to give a local spin on what was happening. And there was a lot happening where I worked at, at uh, in Cache Valley, Logan, Utah. And then people started saying, how can I help? How, what can I do? And I remember talking to one of the police officers on the telephone on the air, and we were saying, what should people do? And this officer said, stay home, stay home, stay home, and keep your eyes and ears open in case this escalates to something even more serious. Now, I say even more serious, as serious as it was, it was could have been a lot worse if there had been more planes involved. Maybe could have been nationwide in every major city in the country. And it was one of those times you'll never forget. Uh, and I don't think we ever should. We did nothing but coverage for almost two full days about 9-11 because there was a lot of local information, people that were wanting to know where they could take donations. Uh, the Red Cross was involved uh, trying to get more blood put into the blood bank. And then there was also the commemorations uh, at the courthouse in Logan. There were uh, commemorations at Utah State University, the different high schools. And we were trying to get out information as much as we could during this trying time. Now, I'm going to fast forward a couple of weeks after this because Lowe's, you know, the home improvement store, had purchased a remote broadcast from the radio station, and I was supposed to be there to do that. And that was a couple of weeks afterwards, and it just shows you how fast things can go as far as uh, when you have a tragedy like this occur. All the low stores all over the country had bumper stickers that said, we'll never forget, or something to that effect. And I still see some of those bumper stickers around town every once in a while. It makes me remember that day. So here we are, not knowing what we're going to be doing in the next 12 hours, especially 24, 36, 48 hours out. And my my colleagues at the radio station, from the news team to the other announcers, to the front office per- personnel, to the sales staff, they stepped it up that day. And I was so proud of them, but Every one of us were in between being on the air. We were walking zombies. We were just out of it. Also that day, I was thinking a lot about my sister, Sandra, and what she was going through. But I also needed to make sure other family and friends were okay. Every one of us were affected so harshly by the events of that day. It turned out that a gentleman who was from a student at Utah State University was one of those killed at the Pentagon. And then we find out from several people that they had friends and relatives that were in Manhattan at the time and saw the, the collapse of the Trade Center. Uh, what, a, what a time, what a time that it was, and also that we still remember. And I, I've said it once, I'll say it again, it's something I'll never forget. 
and I don't want to because there are bad people in this world. I am a firm believer in God. I also know that the devil is out there. And we saw the devil rear his ugly head that day. And we see it every day with what's going on in the world. So I took the time during that time of 2001, and a lot of people did, to reflect on their life and their relationship with their God and their religion, whatever it was, or they didn't have a religion. It was a tough time to be a radio personality because you had all these emotions and it was tough not to show them or to show them on the air that people knew that you were just breaking down because of what was happening uh, with the terrorist attack on our great nation. Today, we've had a national tragedy. I heard the plane very close to the top of the building. It made me cry. I went to work and I was devastated. Radio Guy Reflections remembers September 11th, 2001. And on this special edition of Radio Guy Reflections, we're talking to the Jimmer, Jim Dillman, who was uh, uh, gracious enough to join us a few uh, months ago on Radio Guy Reflections from San Bernardino County. Thank you very much for joining us today, Jimmer. Oh, listen, uh, Dave, I appreciate uh, you thinking of me because I recall 9-11, September the 11th, 2001, just like it was yesterday. I can visualize my whole morning that morning. You and I were both on the air at different radio stations in different parts of the country. I'm in the Intermountain West. You're in California. Uh, let's talk about the time of day. Mine was shortly uh, right around 7 a.m. Yours had to be sh- right around 6, 6.15 when you started hearing about the bombings uh, at the World Trade Center and then later in that day uh, at the Pentagon. Uh, what was going on that day at your radio station? Well, actually, it's very interesting because uh, I went on the uh, number one station, country station in San Bernardino County at the time, or at least the high desert, Market 115. And um, uh, I, I had a partner, Carrie Lynn, and uh, Jimmer and Carrie Lynn. And um, so when Carrie had the day off, of all days, he had the day off. And, uh, you know, a typical radio guy went on at 6, so that means I got there at 5.59. And uh, really what was interesting is that uh, the overnight person, they never mentioned anything. But I think it happened around 5.40 in New York, if I remember the R time. But, uh, you know, I was lucky to be uh, very popular at the time, and, uh, the phones were ringing off the hook when I got in there, but nobody knew what was happening. And uh, so anyhow, interesting, because that was 2011, I'm sorry, 2001, we didn't have the monitors, the TV monitors and, and iPads and things like we do now. But uh, my phone people said, Jim, what's going on in New York? And because they know that I travel to New York a lot and know it very well, especially Manhattan, and um, I walked down the hallway to one of our other stations, and I said, are you guys getting any calls? And no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are. And um, one of the ladies in there said, well, uh, some little airplane flew into the side of one of the towers out there. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, you know, that, that happens now and then. But uh, getting anyway, then it started unfolding because I got people that uh, were calling 
And actually, even with all my experience, I didn't know quite what to do because the Jimmer character is a jokester. I'm always telling jokes and, and you know, trying to make people laugh. <clears throat> and um, But as soon as I got word or I could uh, uh, find out what was going on, I knew, okay, you can't be playing music. You can't be, you know, joking and that. So this is the interesting part of my whole career is that what I decided to do right away, probably around um, 6.15, I thought, okay, got to take the music off. I'm going to start taking people as they call in. I'm pretty smart. I could tell if it was any jokesters calling in or whatever, what was right. true. But they were watching television by that time. And remember, Manhattan is only six miles long and two miles, two and a half miles wide. Right. So the TV stations there were on it, boom, just like that. And um, so anyway, I um, took the music off. I, I really didn't take a lot of calls on the air unless I really knew the people because – at that time, also, we didn't have a delay, even though I told everybody we did. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But um, anyway, so I knew this was serious. Obviously, the second plane hadn't hit yet, but I knew this was serious. So I just kind of walked through it, and uh, I knew I couldn't talk for in the next four hours straight. So about I'd take 40 minutes of people calling and getting the information some of them I knew, especially business people. I took them on the air, and they were telling me what they were seeing on television. And um, But I knew I had to do something. I couldn't talk that long, and I wanted to get my facts straight. So I did 40 minutes, and then I took 20 minutes off. And what I did, and I say 20 minutes, that may not be correct, but I played God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. Uh-huh. because I had to gather some stuff, you know, and people beating on the windows outside and everything. And so I did that. And the one thing that, I mean, you know, obviously I'll never forget the heroes that lost their lives in uh, on 9-11 and that, but um, my hotline rang. So I knew probably that was, you know, the boss, because I'd been on the air for two hours, no help, nobody came in. And um, so anyhow... I answered the hotline, and Jimmer, yeah, it's Lee Greenwood. Oh, He's calling wow. me. I've made friends with his family over the years. His daughter and son-in-law uh, and grandchildren live in Hesperia, which is, you know, Victorville, Apple Valley, and Hesperia. We all butt up against each other. And he was in town visiting his daughter. Wow. And over the years, I've emceed probably three or four concerts with him and got to kind of know him, got to know his family and and got him seats at concerts and things like that. But anyhow, I had Lee Greenwood on the air with me that morning as I was playing. The only song I played was God Bless the USA. Every time I needed a breath or to take an important call and, uh, you know, and, and that. So, I mean, to have Lee Greenwood on the air with you then and playing God Bless the USA. Now, to the sad part, and, uh, you know, for because I, I know Manhattan very well, I have had my pictures. I've never been in the Twin Towers, but I had my pictures taken out in front of And uh, just to know the devastation. And as I said, the I always think of families and the first responders and that, too. 
actually, they didn't know a lot that was going on because, you know, there's a lot of power knocked out. The TV stations couldn't get in there. So I thought of the families that were sitting at home not knowing uh, about their loved ones, the fire department, the police department, people that worked in the buildings. And uh, and remember, too, that uh, several of the radio stations, one that I know of, had their tower up on top of uh, one of the Twin Towers. Right. So a lot of communication was knocked out, and people just didn't know, you know, quite what to do. And the bridges in Long Island, I'm sorry, not Long Island, but, um, uh, you know, New York City itself um, is isolated because of the bridges and things like that, Manhattan. And that's where all the entertainment industry, the television, the radio stations, most of them uh, were all in there. And so they were really isolated with information, too. And then to see people running across the bridge to get out of there uh, after we finally got a television set in the the control room or the studio and see the look on people's face. And, And then when the second tower came down, there was no doubt this was not an accident. No. And, you know, you just wondered... I mean, as I get older and hopefully a little wiser, I just think of the people thinking, are my husbands, wives, children, are they going to come home tonight? Right. You know, and and, uh, what it was. But it's just one of the, in all my years in radio, uh, I was lucky enough to have enough years behind me at that time of knowing how to handle, because you and I are both from the Midwest and and, uh, Missouri area. And so we knew how to handle the tornadoes and things like that. But just never, ever did we think something like this would happen. And the people would look to us for information and to keep them going and as, as mostly informed as we could. Now, I was going to ask you, because you, you mentioned about how you were basically there by yourself because your partner uh, was not there that day. Did you not have a local news effort? Did you not have a local news team associated with the radio stations there? No, because radio had started changing at that time. Wow. And, and our news come out of Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, they, once again, it was Los Angeles news. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sit here and think. I say I remember like yesterday, but um, I just, I don't, I don't remember us really having maybe we did and you know i I was just in a you know quandary to i gotta do this i gotta do that and maybe that did give me a few minutes but i just don't remember but obviously it must have been because we had access just to punch the button and uh you know take the news live out of los angeles but and, and once again they would have more connections than we did but remember, at 6 o'clock in the morning, even they didn't, you know, their sister stations, the L.A. stations, you know, they probably couldn't get a hold of anybody out there either. No. So that's uh, that could have been part of it. Well, I was going to also ask you about uh, the area that you're in, the San Bernardino, Victorville, App- Apple Valley, and that area, uh, because this affected everyone across the country. 
I know that there's probably people in that area that had friends and family that lived in New York or maybe were visiting that day. My own sister was there with my nephew having some medical tests at one of the hospitals near the Twin Towers, and we didn't know where she was for almost 24 hours. So, you know, that, that, was, that was kind of personal to me. But the, the communities wanted to do something, and I found this here in Utah, what was the the community doing uh, after the aftermath? Were they holding vigils? Were they doing fundraisers? What were they doing in that part of California? Everything that um, should have done and we should have at the time. I was very proud of the radio stations. We're a really actually a bedroom community of Los Angeles itself. Uh, there's, uh, you know, as the crow flies, so to speak, we're probably 60 miles from downtown L.A. And um, so everybody has relatives, friends. That's where everybody goes to the concerts. Uh, we've grown up here. Uh, this market now is about 500,000 people. But, um, you know, everybody was getting as much information as they could. And afterwards, yeah, we did benefits at nightclubs and, and restaurants and things like that to raise money. And, uh, you know, because there there are people in Los Angeles especially, but we take care of the community or we took care of the community at the time, that um, it affected people's lives, their livelihood, uh, you know, especially corporations that, uh, you know, was connected here and New York City. So we did what we could to raise money, but mostly... Uh, I, I really hit it hard. It was because of the firemen, the policemen. You know, once again, I can visualize uh, when we did get uh, television in the studio there. I see it. You could see the fire department people walking up those stairs. Uh, you know, that unfortunately didn't make it back down. Right. Uh, the windows where people were, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but, you right. know, people having to jump out the windows, you know, several stories high because of fires and everything. And, um, you know, and, and just because it was terrorism, you know, a lot of people that called were very angry. How could this have happened? Right. How could this have happened? And uh, not to go too far in the future, but, um, you know, we found out that some of those pilots took training here in the United States. That's correct. <laughs> and, uh, and that's just, you know, I... I just could not believe it, and they were trained here in California. Mm. And, you know, the the same thing is not just Manhattan, the Twin Towers, but the Pentagon, uh, you know, how could that have happened? And the airplane out in um, Pennsylvania, I believe it was. Right. Uh, what heroes on there. And um, while everyone was in shock in Manhattan, uh, you know, people out there were able, they were talking to their relatives on that plane before it got shot down. So, uh, but I'm like you. I have friends uh, that work uh, in radio and television both out there. Of course, I couldn't get a hold of them at the time and and uh, that, but over the years of meeting back up with them, and I go to New York and, you know, same thing. They would just have stories to tell that they just, you know, could not believe anything like this. Had happened. Well, I, I think uh, we we found out a lot about radio at that time because radio was un, was undergoing a change, 
and and we agreed that not necessarily for the better in in a lot of incidences, but I think radio across the country showed how involved they could be in local efforts and getting out the the uh, local information that is needed. But that has kind of changed over the years to to where corporations have taken over. There are times when there's not even anybody there at the radio station at the time, so you can't get the immediate information. But, Jim, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, uh, emergency situations. Now, both of us have worked in the Midwest. You're from Missouri. I'm from Tennessee. Lived in uh, Louisiana for about uh, two and a half years. And emergencies do happen. And uh, I was surprised on 9-11 that we did not go to the emergency activation system, which would have required all radio stations to go off the air and uh, say, you're going to get your information from such and such a radio station, which was the EAS station for your area. Yours would have been probably in L.A. Mine was in Salt Lake City. And I, I've always thought that was not a good idea. Even to this day, I don't think it's a good idea for when emergencies might or can happen, and you know they're going to happen again. Because of that local information you can give out, did you have you ever been in a situation where you were giving out information that was for your community that like a Los Angeles wouldn't be given out at a time like that? Well, 9/11 is a very good example because actually <laughs> I just don't remember um uh, and you know I always consider myself an entertainer and not a genius or an engineer uh in I never was in management in any way but I never thought about this until you just mentioned it I don't remember anybody uh saying hey you have to shut the station off the air you have to uh pick up a station probably KFI out of Los Angeles right. or some place like and I never remember being reprimanded for it so either got by everybody or <laughs> or maybe we just didn't have to do it well, you but, used to uh, work in, in Twin Falls, Idaho for a short time, and you probably heard yeah. about the Teton Dam collapse in Rexburg, Idaho, back in 1976, I believe it was. It's June the 11th, I think it was. Uh, and I had worked at a radio station in Rexburg after the Teton Dam flood, so I, I heard a lot of stories because uh, the my boss at the time was at the Teton Dam site when it collapsed, and he was doing a radio report live from the scene, you can actually hear the rumble of the dam collapsing and him literally almost having a heart attack on the air. I mean, this is what he told me himself. He said, my heart was pounding so much, I thought I was going to die. So he got into trouble later from the FCC because the FCC thought that the uh, emer- at the time the emergency broadcast system should have gone off, and all that information that was going out about this flood that luckily didn't kill a lot of people because of the time of the day and and the personal efforts of my my boss and my friend Don Ellis uh, getting out there and getting that information. But he got reprimanded by the FCC for not going off the air. And Don basically told him, I'm not going to pay this fine because I'm serving my community, and who else could serve Rexburg, like a Rexburg radio station, instead of going to Idaho Falls, Idaho, to get it from KID. I thought he was uh, completely 100% correct, 
And I talked to uh, a couple of people in Idaho Falls said they thought it was a correct call too. So I, I think the FCC really needs to look at what, when they do this emergency activation system and how it's going to work, I think there's just a lot of holes in it, and I hope it doesn't come up to bite us uh, one day. I really do. Well, what's interesting is that now Twin. I was only in Twin Falls. I, I worked at uh, KMVT, the TV station. Right. And I studied meteorology in college, and so uh, I was a weather guy. So I actually, <laughs> I knew I wanted to come back to the Los Angeles area. <laughs> right. But my radio experience was actually in Kansas City. I spent 10 years in Kansas City, and that's where I started radio. And I, you know, I always thought I only got, I was only involved with the FCC at one time. And that's just because they came in to check the logs and things like that. Right. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I always wondered about the FCC because I really had nothing good to ever say about them. Right. The people that I with, our own stations, you know, they were just there to find people. But what's interesting, to bring it up to date on what you're saying, um, I live in uh, San Bernardino County, the largest county in the United States. And um, what's interesting is that, you know, it runs all the way from Needles, California, down to Ontario, Rancho Cucamonga, you know, the other directions and that. But they, they've never modernized it. We have the most obnoxious sounds that they put on the air. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's terrible. I'm thinking, you know, this is, you know, 2021. Why can you not come up with a better one? Now, what's interesting is that because we are such a, lo- a large county, is that, uh, you know, we run to um, California, you know, to Las Vegas and, and Nevada and that, is that they'll send these alerts out and telling everybody to take cover or whatever it is, and then they'll give, you know, where the the rain or the storm or whatever it is, and it's like 180 miles from here. Yeah. So why why are they telling us? Why not narrow it down? Yeah, and but, then uh, and I then mean, the then the uh, EAS system that they've developed now, uh, you know, you set the you set it all up, and here in Cache County we're adjacent to Box Elder County, but there's a mountain range in between us, and the radio stations I was working at at the time, we would get literally uh, severe weather alerts that would last for 15 to 20 minutes because of the way storm systems work out here, that would be way out in Box Elder County, almost in the Nevada border, or they'd be almost down in Salt Lake City. And there, and we would have beautiful sunshine, and right in the middle of a song, you'd hear, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> and it drove us nuts. And we're going, there's no need in that. And they, they, they in today's technology, there's a way to get around that. And they just haven't taken the time to do it. And that's that's the fact, FCC guy. I'm sorry. Get working on it, right? Well, I'll get that off my chest also. Why doesn't the FCC realize, especially here in California, but, you know, being from uh, Missouri, the largest earthquake ever to hit the United States was in New Madrid, Missouri. That's true. And and uh, But even up till today... 
why did they not realize when I grew up on the farm near Bellflower, Montgomery City, Missouri, my grandparents every morning listened, you know, whatever the signal would come in better, but Mexico, Missouri, Fulton, Missouri, and Warrington, Missouri have the strongest radio stations. But do you realize right now, why doesn't the FC step in and say, you know what, you guys are just saving a ton of money, the radio station owners, to have, uh, you know, somebody that voice tracked, um, you know, three weeks ago or whatever it is. Because right now, if we had an earthquake, uh, who's going to be at that radio station? What happens if it's 2 o'clock in the morning right. or 1 o'clock? Why doesn't the radio, why doesn't the FCC step in and say, you have to have somebody that can be there within three minutes, right. five minutes, and, uh, you know, or uh, that because we're just not protected like we used to. I always said that up here, you know, we're a market of 500,000 people. If a plane crashed on Bear Valley Road, whoever's on the air is saying, hey, what a great day, nice day going on, you uh -huh. know. They have no idea because they voice track <laughs> and uh, – you know, uh, the programming for the stations I work for comes out of Nashville, out of Dallas, and every place. So they wouldn't know what's no. going on. They, we're, they not, we're not, radio is not here to serve the community as it was. And the FCC still tells you that you are supposed to uh, do these quarterly issues reports that are just the biggest waste of time. Uh, it. <laughs> I had to do one every quarter, and I think I've been. I was in radio 47 years, and I had an FCC guy come to check our quarterly issue report one time. But he dropped by our radio station because he was investigating another radio station for something they did. So it's a complete waste of paperwork, time, and money. And uh, I just think that if they really looked at what they were doing, and I'm probably going to get in all kinds of hot water if this gets back to the <laughs> FCC. But I did what I was supposed to do because I didn't want my employer to be fined, you know, but I, I did it, you know, gritting my teeth the whole time. But there's a lot of things that have happened in radio recently that make it harder for us to serve our community the way it was in the late 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I, I sound like an old man, but when you get the, uh, get the charter and you look at what the FCC ask of radio stations, Radio Today is not doing it. I, I, I will tell you every day they're not doing it. They try. They do their best. But they're just basically music stations unless they're a news talk station. They're just basically pumping out tunes. That's all they're doing. Well, I won't go too far into it because our careers have just pretty well, you know, we both have the same careers, 47 years in yeah. the same market. But the only time ever, ever, uh, I worked at a radio station in Kansas City. And um, the receptionist calls, and she says, Jim, the FCC's here. They want to know if they can come back. <laughs> and I said, I guess so. Yeah. And that's when you had transmitter readings and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And oh, it was just lucky that I did have the transmitter readings. Of course, right. you know, I, I say it now because I'm retired, but my meter readings were just as good as the guy that was on before me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Been there, done that. Well, yeah, you know, a few numbers changed here or there, and nobody would know. Right. But the guy came back. And as I said, we won't go into this on the air, but it's something we have in common. And um, uh, I signed a 
where it says sign off, I signed there instead of the line that said sign on. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. And um, this guy was nice as could be. And of all things, he says, are you from Missouri? And I said, yeah, I'm uh, Bellflower, Montgomery City, Missouri. He says, you're kidding. And I said, why? And he says, let's talk about that radio station that's getting ready to go on the air out there. So I won't go any further, but you may want to call me sometime because I can give you the story. Oh, I think I think I know. I, I uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> I think I know that radio station, don't I? Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I imagine or there were some. On the th- air. Yeah, yeah. That they, you know, yeah. they, that to go on the air, uh-huh. but uh, you know, anyhow. Yeah. Um, it's. It, it, May want to talk to me sometimes. Very interesting to see how that thing ever on the air. Yeah, but um, anyway, you know, and there's another good example. Now, I go back to Missouri all the time, and and um, you know that station there. Of course, that's a small town still, but very small. uh, They're simulcast out of another, I think Mexico, Missouri, or someplace like that. I think it's Moverly, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So all the way in Moverly, which is a long way. Yeah, it, and it could, yeah, probably so. But you know, when we both started in radio, I think uh, I think that you could only have one AM, and nobody listened to FM when I started. That's true. And now, and look at the corporations that have twelve, thirteen hundred. You know, that may be a little high now, but at one time you had twelve hundred radio stations. Yeah. And uh, how can you serve the community, uh, any community like that? Yeah. And I've got. Now that, um, you know, after they get off their shift, they have to now go in and, and um, uh, you know, voice track for three or four other radio stations. So. Right. Well, Jimmer, I, I wanted to thank you so much for taking a little time to uh, talk to us about the uh, remembrances of that terrible, terrible day 20 years ago now, uh, 9-11, and uh, the, the, you know, the, the Twin Towers. You had the Pentagon, you had the plane crash in Pennsylvania. It changed everyone's life, and I thought it would be interesting to see how it changed us as radio people here on Radio Guy Reflections. So thank you so much. Well, I'll just throw this in quickly. Okay. I beat up on radio so much. Now there's probably not any radio station that does not have a TV in the, in the studio. So yeah. that can certainly. Uh, help the communications with my iPad and computers and things like that. Um, you know, people in radio today will never see or know the panic uh, that we went into uh, in 2001, uh, 9/11, because we didn't have the technology to really uh, be out there with everything that we had. Even the LA stations and that. <coughs> Excuse me, but. Radio has come a long ways. Communications has come a long ways. Television has come a long ways. But um, I don't know how anybody can really classify themselves as local radio anymore. Right. And, and when you're talking about that, I think, you know, social media comes into play there. But there is so much misinformation that can come out if you don't have professionals really uh, working out the situation, getting all the facts straight. Uh, I think if a situation like that goes on now, we're going to find social media threads that are completely inaccurate. And uh, I'm hoping that 
our radio station brethren will take that into account and making sure they double check any kind of information that might come out about any other situation that might occur. And I would say someday will occur again uh, that affects us all. So thanks once again, Jimmer. All right, just five seconds because of what you said. Uh, I remember over the years, especially when I was younger, program directors, and a program director came to me to teach me radio. You know, I was probably 30. I mean, however long I've been in radio all my life. And he says, remember, you never have to worry about being accurate. Just be first. Uh, I'm I'm the complete opposite. <laughs> don't you said, think? What? Uh-huh. And he said, don't, you don't have to worry about being accurate. Just be first. And I said, how about if I'm first and accurate? Yeah. And... He didn't, you know, a guy was like 18 years old. He didn't know how to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jimmer, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, and I I wish you the best as uh, we go throughout the the coming years and still that pandemic is hitting so heavily again. uh, You know, it was last year about this time. Things started uh, really bumping up again, and I think we're seeing that again. So keeping our fingers crossed and hoping you stay healthy, my man. Today, we've had a national tragedy. I heard the plane very close to the top of the building. It made me cry. I went to work and I was devastated. Radio Guy Reflections remembers September 11th, 2001. I want to thank you, first of all, because what after what happened after September 11th, I thought you did one of the most uh, generous things that I've ever seen anybody do. And I'm not sure, is it true you were on the tarmac in New York City? Yeah, we were, you know. We were we were scheduled to go back to England. Heather had been in New York uh, the day before to receive an award for her charity work from Red Book magazine. That had gone great, and she and 10 other women had got these awards. Um, had gone great, and we were just due to leave on the 11th, and we were at the airport JFK at quarter to nine, and the pilot just said, Sorry, there's been a terrible accident in New York, and those of you on the right-hand side of the airplane will be able to see. And we saw one of the trade towers smoking live kind of thing. And, you know, immediately, like everyone else, I think we just thought, well, you know, it's it's one of those things where somebody's died at the controls of a plane. As as happened, you know, a year or so before, the guy had a heart attack and his plane just kept on flying across the States. I thought it was like that. I thought, oh, God, it's just crashed in. But then pretty soon afterwards, Heather said, is, is, that, is the other one on fire? I said, no, I said, it wouldn't be because it, they look close together from here, but they're far apart. And of course it was, so this shock wave went round and the people on the plane knew and the captain got on, they said, well, they've closed the airport and we all started to know what had happened, you know. Shock ran through the country, the world, really. Um, so we just, you know, felt like a lot of other people kind of hopeless and helpless uh, what can you do? So as we'd been going to go back to Europe to put together some concerts, uh, we just said, you know what, we've got to stay here, put it together here, because this is where people need the help. And we were very proud to do it. You know, it was something I'm really glad we did, because it really did help um, New Yorkers' spirits and I think the rest of the country. And it helped us too. You know, we had somewhere to put our feelings and some way to show our solidarity the American people over this atrocity, you know, this attack on freedom. Well, you've been so good to America, and I, I believe America's been so good to you over the years, too. Then you write freedom. 
Now, obviously, that's what spawns it, but what was going through your head when you're sitting down with that? Well, you know, because I knew we now had the idea of the concert coming up, and um, so I thought, well, you know, what am I going to do on the concert? Well, I thought, okay, I'd heard that some of the radio stations that day had been playing Let It Be as a kind of spirit raiser. I thought, okay, well, I'll do that. I know another couple of other songs I could do. And then I thought, um, I really would love to have something special, even though it's very difficult to launch a new song in a, in a concert like that. I thought, if I can write something really simple that people, even people who aren't very musical, can just hear that chorus and go, freedom, put their hands up and, and shout, you know. I said, if I can do that, so that's what got me the idea for it. And uh, I sat down, wrote something. Actually, Heather helped me out, um, kind of arranging it and putting it, you know, verses. She said, I think that would be good. I said, you know what, you're right. So it was kind of co-effort. She was helping on the, organize the uh, tickets for the firemen. She found out that even though we'd been told all the firefighters were going to get tickets for the concert, a couple of days before, she found out they hadn't had them which is typical, you know, those big organization things. So she said, well, I'll tell you what. But she got on, she started, like, campaigning and got on to the bigwigs. They immediately sent her over 200 tickets. Oops, you know, keep quiet. <laughs> so she said, right, and she went down. She and I went down to, uh, I think it was Ladder 9. Went down and saw the guys, just walked in. They said, hey, guys, have you got tickets? She said, no. One of the guys said, what, tickets for the Yankees? <laughs> I said, no, no, no. But, um, it was really good, you know, it was very sort of um, worth it. And the guys were so pleased, you know, and we just, Heather just went around saying, are you working tomorrow night? The guy said, no. Would you like some tickets? Yep. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so, you know, she was very helpful putting the whole thing together. We played, uh, I had a thing, I, I don't know what struck me, but I played Live and Let Die that next day, and I, it took on, not that it should have taken on me, and that wasn't why you wrote the song, but yeah. boy, when I heard it again, I said, I want everybody to just listen to this in another way, and I, mm. I don't know if you'd condone that, but boy, it sure yeah. made us feel like that. Well, you know, uh, I know what you mean exactly, because when we were putting the show together, without really thinking, we, we put that after freedom. So you get the, the vibe of freedom, you know, like, hey, don't mess with us. And then you get like living that type at it, and and um, you know, I'm not a violent person, but I really think you know that was a terrible act of war, and in, in the worst possible way because you didn't you didn't even see your enemy, you know, in the old kind of wars. At least there's a guy there, he's shooting at you. You can shoot at him. You know, I, I'm a pacifist, but when you've got to defend your country, you've got to defend your country. That's your wife and your kids. You know, and that's got to happen when someone attacks you like that and say this is the hidden enemy and it's much more difficult so no, I, I certainly uh, do uh, agree that you've got to answer that kind of atrocity it just can't go unanswered some people who I got in a bit of trouble in England you know they sort of said well you know Paul you're a pacifist how come you you know you're saying different now I said well I'll tell you what I am a pacifist I said but if someone smacks me in the face um, I might just be like to smack him back, you know. <laughs> and um, it's the way it has to be, you know. It's a very reasonable thing, I think. You've got to defend. I don't advocate going out and just taking over the world. I think if someone comes, like Hitler, attacked Britain, what should we have done? You know, just uh, sort of lay down and go, okay, come on in. What should you guys go? Okay, you're taking out the Twin Towers, you took out the Pentagon, part of. 
And you know, this is, you, you'd start to spread anthrax. Oh, okay. We'll let you off this time. No way, an impossible situation. This is my right. It's like the world just stopped. Wow. This is this is bad. Radio Guy Reflections remembers September 11th, 2001. And on this special edition of Radio Guy Reflections, it's my pleasure to invite a relative on with us uh, right now. It is my sister, Sandra. Hi, Sandra, who's now living, uh, 
Which town in California again? Lemoor. Lemoor. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lemoor, California. So, uh, what we're doing here today on this podcast <coughs> is taking time to look back on radio's role in uh, what we covered as far as local news during that tragic event. Now, I, I'm going to tell you this. I was working hard at the radio station. Excuse me, I had to clear my throat again. <coughs> And then all of a sudden, I realized that you and Kelly were in New York City, and I knew you were going to be fairly close to the World Trade Center on on that day when the uh, the Twin Towers went down. Now, we didn't know where you were. I remember calling our sister Judy back and forth, trying to figure out if you had contacted anybody yet. So let's talk first about why you were in New York City because it's a it's an important story in itself because it involves a genetic disease that runs in our family. I uh, I was there because uh, they were um, getting ready to release the medication uh, that had been being worked on for treatment for this uh, disease that it, it's a genetic disease in our family called Fabre. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and. Uh, they had asked us to come so that they could do some testing prior to the release of the medication right. that, had, that had been being worked up. And they wanted to get a, a complete workup on uh, Kelly and I uh, so that they would know how much and, and uh, whether we would uh, be able to... Um, Received the treatment mm. once it was released. Now so, uh, you were at Mount Sinai Hospital, if I remember right. And uh, yes. do you remember how far that was from the area where the twin towers were? If I remember correctly, it was about, I believe it was seven or eight, maybe nine miles up. Uh, up in we were right across the right across the street, the hospital from the uh, park, Central Park. Okay. And so I think I think it was between eight to nine miles up from the Twin Towers. So the, the question is, Sandra, and I don't know if we, you and I have talked about this very much, uh, but uh, how long did it take for you, and you and your son were both there uh, having tests, how long did it take for the doctors and nurses to know that something major was happening and, and they informed you down. Yeah, I was actually on the uh, TV. I was watching the TV when it actually happened. I had just woke up and I was so excited because I was in the same city where the Today Show was being filmed. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll be able to be uh, not just an hour behind or two hours behind how it was back from Memphis. But I was going to be listening to them live. So I had just woke up and rolled over and turned the TV on. And I saw the the, the plane, the first plane hit the towers. Mm. And, of course, we didn't know exactly what was happening. But um, they, I was able to see both the towers being hit. And it was kind of... Uh, pretty extraordinary 
I bet it was because that that's something that that uh, I mean, you didn't know how close you were really to uh, to having a catastrophe on your hands, and it affected your your stay there in New York City for uh, for the rest of your stay there. Yes, we got there on Monday. Um, we took a bus because I couldn't afford to fly, and. We got there on Monday, and the time that we were uh, <clears throat> in the, I think it's the New Jersey Turnpike uh-huh. that kind of went under the the river, I think, I can't remember, but about the same time that the towers were hit on um, on Tuesday, if it had happened on Monday, we would have been trapped, you know, mm-hmm. right there. And so I didn't really remember seeing the Twin Towers on Monday when we came when we came into New York, I don't remember looking for them. I just, I was excited to see the Statue of Liberty. And you got to see that. That, uh, uh, that That's a good thing, though. Uh, I've, I've never been to New York, so you you got one up on me there, sis. So, <laughs> so now I, I, I do realize you were evacuated from that hospital. What uh, were... No, we weren't evacuated from the hospital. Okay, where were we? <clears throat> we, um... They came in and told me, um, oh, I can't remember exactly how long it was, that if I had unpacked anything the day before, that I needed to start packing it up again because they were going to uh, evacuate us. Uh-huh. Um, and, but that, actually, no, I take that back. They weren't going to evacuate us. They were going to move us to a different part of the hospital. Oh, okay. And um, But as I was um, repacking, unpacking whatever I had unpacked the day before, they came in and told me that it wasn't going to be necessary because they wasn't going to get any of the patients because there was they were taking the patients that they did have across into New Jersey and um, that they wouldn't be bringing any patients to us. But we did get, quarant- I guess you'd say quarantine, but we, were, we, we couldn't get out of the hospital. Right. The doors were all shut and uh, we couldn't leave. We were, I guess you could say, trapped inside. Right. Just couldn't leave. And I remember thinking, and I was uh, very frightened. <laughs> I remember thinking I wanted, I needed uh, a bishop or a bishop. I needed to talk to a bishop who was one of the leaders of our, our, our church there in, in uh, New York. And I remember thinking that for quite some time I needed to talk to somebody. And then it, it hit me. I have been was praying and wondering what to do. And um, I uh, realized I didn't need anybody. Mm-hmm. I had everybody I needed. I had my son with me. And uh, we were there. We were being protected. We were being taken care of. I didn't need anybody. I know that the people that were involved, really involved in um, that day, needed everybody, all our prayers. And and so it kind of eased my, my mind a bit, just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I finally came to realize that I was safe. Well, well Sandra, you said that uh, they closed all the doors and made you stay inside the hospital campus. How long did they do that? Was was it very long before you could 
to be on your own and maybe see a little bit of New York City, or did they keep you that way the whole time you were there? Well, no. Um, they basically kept the doors closed. We could only get out one side once they did let us out. We, uh, we couldn't get in on both sides. One side was completely locked uh, down, and uh, we was able to get out on Thursday, uh, but we, we couldn't leave uh, until after they had finished. After Actually, the, the mayor had come out and suggested, Mayor Giuliani, I think is his name, Yeah. Um, finally came out and said that he wanted everyone to start getting out and um, going about their normal daily lives. Right. And that was on Thursday, but until... Until he announced that, we couldn't get out of the hospital. Now, yeah. your your son Kelly it w- was really big into movies and and uh, and entertainment, and I remember him telling me that he went down to Broadway and got right into some Broadway plays without having a ticket. He just uh, bought it right there at the box office. Did you get to go with him there, or did you say I, I'm staying here? <laughs> no, I I did go with him. Uh-huh. We actually he actually went down Monday before all this transpired and uh, bought tickets for us. Uh-huh. And um, but when we got when we did get to go out, uh, we did go to the uh, the movie. I mean the the play. And. Um, but we got uh, upgraded to a better a better seat because there wasn't enough, not, you know, a whole lot of people there mm-hmm. uh, that had already bought tickets, I guess. But uh, we did get out. So how long was this ordeal? I mean, you're there for medical test. You have one of the most horrific events that uh, has happened in this century and probably in the last two centuries. Uh, that had hit our country. Uh, how long was it before you and Kelly got to leave uh, Manhattan and Long Island? Actually, it was Friday night. Wow. We were due. To, we were due to leave um, Friday after the they were going to be through with all the testing and come back and give us the results and they were going to release us. But we didn't get to be able to leave until. Uh, my, I had already set up my uh, bus ticket to leave at midnight. And um, so, but we were told there were going to be a lot of people um, trying to leave by bus. And that if you had tickets, you needed to get down to the uh, to the station pretty quickly. And so we, luckily, we, we, were, we had to stand in line and wait, even though we had tickets already. But um, I say, luckily, uh, as we were standing in line, the uh, one of the buses got filled up pretty quickly and went right ahead, right ahead of us. And so, whenever that bus was filled, then um, Kelly and I was next, and we were the first ones to be able to board that bus mm-hmm. and because he was disabled and, and I was not well. Um, we were able to choose our seats and be able to sit at the front of the at the front of the bus, and but we were <clears throat> we were on the bus with um, um, had any problems. 
but there were a lot of people trying to get out of the city um, at the same time we were trying to get out of the city. Wow. And so it was it was pretty frightening to, to know that um, you were in a strange city to, to, to boot, but you were in a, um, an area that you didn't know whether you was going to be able to get on the same bus as your as your child, you know. Yeah. And we, we were going to be able to get on together. And luckily, um, we were able to do that. Now, uh, th- this is a personal note here, <laughs> because I can't remember if Kelly told me you guys ate at the WWE restaurant or just saw it. Do you, re- do you remember seeing that wrestling-themed restaurant? Yes, I remember seeing it, but we didn't eat there. Okay. I don't remember eating there, but we did see it. In fact, I think we've got some pictures. I've got some pictures in storage somewhere that uh, Kelly took in front of the, uh, the, the restaurant. Well, you know, he and I were big wrestling fans. I wanted to ask oh, yeah. you. Yeah, you're saying, yeah, thank you, Dave. Uh, yeah, thank you, Dave. Yeah, but uh, the the people, the personnel at the hospital where you were having these tests, uh, after everything had happened on September the 11th, uh, they still had to go on and do their jobs. Did you hear any chatter uh, from maybe personnel that was working at the hospital, doctors, nurses, uh custodians about what was happening in New York at that time? Um, I didn't hear a lot. Um, I, I don't remember hearing very much. I do know one thing I would like to say is that um, the day that the nation, I'm sorry, the day that the nation had the memorial, the 911 memorial was on uh, that Thursday morning. And um, I had a choice to make because the hospital itself was having a special memorial with, with a lot of the doctors and the, um, uh, they had um, several different, like the rabbis and, and different uh, religious leaders. Um, and so I had a choice to, to listen to the national one or to be there in person to, um, to hear the one. Um, that the hospital was putting on, and I chose to go to that one, and it was together. I, I can't remember a whole lot of details, but I know that it was very well done, and I was very impressed with the way they handled it. Well, that's a story that uh, there's a lot of people that can tell that story, but I don't know a lot of them. I do know you, and I know <laughs> it has to be tough every year that this comes up. The emotions come back. But you survived it, and that's that's the great thing. Yes, I was blessed. It was uh, kind of interesting. The the bus ride down as we were traveling to get down to the theater district, I saw a lot of trucks being driven that I only assume, and I'm almost sure that this is what that was, was, was uh, some of the trucks carrying the debris, mm-hmm. wherever they were taking the debris. Yeah. Um, that was kind of um, heart-wrenching to, to watch that. And then once we got off the bus and got to the district, and uh, there was all kind of papers, and I think I've still got them, that were being you know handed out. Um, and as you were walking, you heard about the people who had uh, lost 
people or didn't know if their people had been found or and they had taken pictures and they had put them on everywhere they could put to, for people to be looking for them. Wow. Uh, saw, I saw almost every um, every billboard, every um, um, telephone pole that was is covered in those kind of um, pictures of mm-hmm. loved ones that hadn't been found yet. Um, and again, everywhere you went, there was um, newspapers uh, that had been put out that had pictures of different things. And I had a whole a whole bunch of those, and I think that they're still in storage. Mm-hmm. I think I kept all of those, but um, it was very heart-wrenching to, to see all those photos of people that were missing and to, to now realize that most of, most of those people were never found right. and um, didn't really think too much about what was happening on, with the plane mm. in Pennsylvania. Uh, um, as I think what we were just dealing with at that, that moment was what was actually happening where we were at until after we got back home and realized, you know, what had actually, I know that we knew that the, the Pentagon had been attacked and, uh, we knew about the plane, but it just wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that it wasn't important, but it just didn't have as much meaning at the, at the moment right. uh, as what I was actually seeing firsthand. And um, it was, um, it was very heart wrenching and disturbing at the, at the same time that uh, I just wanted to uh, talk about that a minute because yeah. of what I had, what I had experienced there at that present moment. So the question is, though, did you get to see the Statue of Liberty? I didn't get to see the Statue of oh. Liberty at that point. Yeah. But uh, after I had my stroke, um, I was I was asked to come back uh, after that because I hadn't started the treatment yet, and they wanted to get a do some more tests on me um, to, to, to do a different uh, uh, testing mm. uh, before, I, again, before I actually started the treatment. But um, I did get to go and do more sightseeing on, on that trip when I, I went. I got to see the Statue of Liberty. I did never get down to the, where the tw- Twin Towers were, though. Uh, I was by myself, and it was getting kind of dark, but I got to go to the, uh, took a, a, a three-hour tour yeah. <laughs> around, and I made, you know me, I made jokes. Yeah. I, I made jokes about it. I said, when uh, we got mm-hmm. to the end of the island, we was going to turn around. It, it was it was a three-hour tour that <laughs> 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 they took us around, and um, I actually have a picture of me when I fixed up um my hair was not really, really nice because I had been windblown and everything. And I asked somebody to take my picture in front of the Statue of Liberty. Uh-huh. And uh, as we went around and someone took it, but it wouldn't have took it and, and put a different picture. <laughs> but, but, that ha- but, but it, still, it still had the, the Statue of Liberty behind me and she made it up for Christmas for me and uh, did a special thing. And, um, uh, but uh, I did get to see it then, and then I got to go to the Empire State Building. That's cool. 
In fact, the people at the hospital insisted on every afternoon after we got through with the testing that I, I leave and go do some sightseeing. And I was by myself again, and I don't like to do things by myself. Oh, I don't know if I'd have done that myself in New York City. So I got on the bus and, and went down and saw the Statue of Liberty and did that tour. But like I said, you know me, I had to make something funny out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I everyone. I think everyone in our family had, would have to do that. It goes. We had <laughs> we had a few laughs growing up. I'll tell you that. So. Yeah. I remember waking up to a. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center. Yeah, one of those places you go where say you remember where you were. Radio guy reflections remembers September eleventh, two thousand one. In this special edition of uh, Radio Guy Reflections, I thought I'd, I'd do a little bit of a personal story here because it involved my wife, uh, Teresa, and myself. Uh, when 9-11 happened, of course, both of us were shocked. Uh, Teresa, you were working in the president's office at Utah State University. Uh, tell me how, uh, what was going on that day in the president's office because everybody almost stopped working. Yeah, I went into work early and turned on the TV that was in the president's office. And when he came in, he hadn't heard about it yet. So he sat and the TV was on almost all day. I'm just glad he wasn't on the road because yeah. he traveled a lot. And he very easily could have been somewhere other than his office. Yeah, and he did. I mean, I remember you having to do all of his travel. So speaking of travel, you and I had a big decision to make right after 9-11, because we already had vacation plans, reservations, time off from work to travel to our favorite uh, place to visit, which was Laughlin, Nevada. Uh, how close were you to saying we don't go? I just figured we wouldn't go. And uh, we were planning to drive anyway, so the airplanes not running wasn't an issue, but I just figured we wouldn't go. Well, as we're watching all the news coverage and President Bush actually came out in one of his uh, speeches and said we needed to get back into real life. Now, at the time, like you said, the planes were still grounded. And I think we talked about it for a good 30 minutes and said, yeah, we need to go. We need to support businesses and support life. Uh, basically, what I, what I said, well, you know, we need to go support life at this point. And I remember we decided to go on our vacation. We kept our reservation, but boy, Laughlin, Nevada was a ghost town. It was great. We could go anywhere without a line. And going in lines in Nevada, it takes forever. Uh, there was a sobering uh, time while we were walking on the river walk right along the Colorado River uh, in Laughlin, Nevada. This was like I think less than two weeks after the event, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm going to let you tell what happened while we're walking on the river walk. Well, walking on the river walk, and you, there's not a lot of air traffic, and we knew that the air traffic was grounded, but we suddenly hear some sounds of flight, and it was a helicopter. And we looked up, and this helicopter was following the river. The only issue was it was military green, it had its guns loaded, and there was a soldier hanging out the side door with a, a machine gun, and they were canvassing the river and the dams along the river. Yeah, I remember uh, waving at the soldier, and he just kind of nodded his head at us. 
But when you're in a situation where something like that has happened uh, and you know that uh, there's not supposed to be any aircraft in the air, uh, and then you hear that big helicopter and you see the guns drawn, you say, wow. And then there was something that we almost did, but we didn't do, but I regret we didn't do it. I wish we would have done it because it would have been pretty cool if we'd have done it, but no, we didn't do it because we were watching, (laughs) did that make sense? Uh Okay. (laughs) We were watching television and we were watching one of the Las Vegas TV uh, uh, stations and all of a sudden on their newscast pops up a commercial for the Bellagio and the Bellagio was advertising, uh, they wanted people to come to their hotel. And if you've ever been to Bellagio, you know it's a gorgeous hotel with a beautiful view of these fountains outside. And they were doing fountain view rooms for slightly less than a hundred dollars a night. Boy, that that wallet of mine started scratching, didn't it? <laughs> we were tempted. Oh, we were tempted. But we didn't do it, but we did drop by uh Las Vegas on our way home. And I do remember this, and I'm sure you will too, going to New York, New York. Statue of Liberty. I think it's one-third of the height. I don't know what it's to scale. But already, T-shirts, flowers, uh, poster boards, all about 9-11. And now if you go there, they've taken some of those and put it under glass, some of the nice T-shirts and some of the nice posters that were made. But that's how much people wanted to express their sorrow, their anger at what happened. And I I, I say sorrow and anger because uh, I'll tell you right now, I was um, a word that begins with P and I-S-S-E-D. I was pissed at what happened. And I I know you were too, but standing there, walking around, that was sobering. Well, and you hear stories from people like Pat Tillman, who is a a very good NFL football player, and he just quits his football career and joins the military just because he was angry that they did a terrorist act on our country. Now, Pat Tillman was playing for the Arizona Cardinals at the time, and he was killed uh, in the line of duty, although they did find out it was friendly fire that killed him. And if you go to Hoover Dam, that new bridge is the Pat Tillman Bridge. So uh, it was an unusual time. We'll never forget it. We'll never forget when, where you were when you first heard about it or where you first saw the footage of the Twin Towers collapsing because I didn't get to see that till I got home because we didn't have a monitor at the radio station. I just heard about it. Uh, but it was one of those things that when people talk about this, 40 or 50 years from now, and the kids that were 10 years old that saw all this happen, and they're maybe in their 60s or 70s, like I'm in my 60s now, and they, they will, they'll talk about how scared they were, how their parents were scared. I thought for sure that we were going to have more terrorist attacks associated with this, and I thought for sure that we were going to have war in our time, and we did have war. Well, like you said, we were concerned about more attacks, and one of the concerns was that they were going to target Hoover Dam. So cars and trucks were not allowed to cross the dam, and uh, they told us in Laughlin that if the dam was compromised, we would be underwater. 
Yeah, and that that'll scare you to death too because uh, they, I think I think they were saying at Laughlin, Nevada, it would have been ten ten to fifteen twenty feet deep by the time the the river had hit. But we're glad that that part of our life is over, but we're also sad and still pissed that these evil people. They did in the name of their religion. I know that. And I still say that some of the most horrific events that ever occurred to man have been in the name of religion. But I still believe in a God. Well, and we Americans are family. And you don't do anything to my family. Yeah. And I just wish, and I'm hopeful that the commemoration and the people that are thinking back to that time will remember how together we were. And now we're so far apart in just 20 years' time. 20 years. Let's get back together. From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston And New York to Pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say There ain't no doubt